Welcome to The Positive Effect. My name's April Sobral, and I am the founder of RetailU.ca and the author of The Positive Effect, a retail leader's guide to changing the world. I've had an amazing 25-year career in retail where I've traveled across the globe. I have worked and inspired thousands of leaders. And in this weekly podcast, I bring to you my retail friends and network conversations that will inspire you and encourage you to further your career in retail or beyond. We talk about leadership lessons learned and tips and tricks that can help you be a successful leader. So get ready to be inspired. And if you're looking for more leadership development, sign up at www.retailu.ca. And I'll see you on a live call soon. Hello, everybody. We're back. It's April, and I'm back with the weekly episode of The Positive Effect brought to you by Retail You. I'm the founder of Retail You, and um, I bring my awesome network on to LinkedIn Live every week to have amazing conversations because I truly believe the positive effect um, that a leader has on the business that they run and the people that they lead should be celebrated. And these conversations are really to bring to life careers that we've had in retail in hopes and desires to kind of inspire other people and share lessons learned. So this week, I'm super excited to have Brenda Rigney on. Hi, Brenda. How are you? Hi, April. How are you? I'm great. We've got 30 minutes to kind of pick your brain and get as much out of you as uh, we can to share with our audience. So I'm super excited to hear all about your story today. Um, And we connected through the throughout the past year in the pandemic. It's so funny. I I say to tons of people, I've met so many new people that I never knew about (laughs) through this pandemic, you know, just virtually. So if you're joining the chat, welcome. Um, Just tell us where you're joining in from, because we've got a global retail network all over the world. So that'd be really great. Um, And you can, you know, say hi, where you're coming from. But yeah, without further ado, we'll just jump right into it. So tell us your story, because I'm always interested is re- was you started off in retail? Obviously, you're not in retail now. But um, was it accidental? Was it intentional? Like, I'd love to know your story. Yeah, absolutely. It was fully accidental. Uh, my first sort of jobs were like babysitting, and then I moved into food, like hospitality with McDonald's. Like I did McDonald's when I was in high school, and even throughout university, I was working in restaurants, hostessing, um, serving, and then it was leaving university I was at Western and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next like I knew I wanted to go to law school I just finished my undergrad and I wanted to go to law school and I you know was sitting on my roommate's bed she was actually working at the Gap at the time in London Ontario at the Galleria and she's like you should get a job at the Gap because I was heading back to Vancouver and I was like "Ah, like what does that look like and you know I loved what she always used to wear I loved her clothes and stuff I used to borrow a sweater so I was like (laughs) okay and so she set me up with the district manager in Vancouver I was home for literally two days, had an interview, which was on the sales floor, folding jeans. He was like, let's just fold this denim wall. And I was like, I've never folded a denim wall before. <laughs> I love it. It's my interview, like folding jeans and talking about myself. And yeah, I started. And the whole intention was just to kind of work maybe the summer, maybe six months, pay off some student loans, study for my LSATs and, you know, go to law school the next fall stayed for 14 and a half years. <laughs> oh my God. 14 and a half years. <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable. 
<laughs> which I don't know if it was ever really a dream. I think it was just more sort of like, you know, a to-do list item, like in the sense of like, you know, get a job, graduate from high school, get a, you know, go to university, get a job, get married, that to-do list. So yeah, I totally took, you know, left curve and stayed in retail. So how did that, so what did you do with the gap? Walk us through that journey in that story. Cause 14 years is a lot, uh, is a significant amount of time. I was at Gap for about five years in the beginning of my career in London and then went back to Gap with Banana Republic for another five years, kind of with a break of Starbucks in the middle. But 14 years in one company, I always kind of find a lot of respect for people that have done that. Cause mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's so much growth that can happen within that time. So walk us through that journey. What was your career like at Gap? Yeah, so the first seven years I was in the field operations, it was uh, in the early 90s, so there was a very small store count in, in Canada at the time. Vancouver, I think we only had two uh, Gap, uh, like adult retail locations. And that time, like Gap Kids wasn't up in Canada, um, or Baby Gap, Banana Republic wasn't there, and Old Navy didn't even exist yet. Wow. So there was no e-commerce business at the time. So it was just like literally two Gap stores in the Vancouver Lower Mainland. Um, so started there, worked my way up from assistant manager in training all the way to, um, well, my last position was a district manager for the, like in seven years, I got all the way up to district manager and then moved into a training and development role for the Canada head office. So I moved to Toronto, relocated out there for about four years. Um, and Canada was part of the international division. So that was really cool. That was like me really just booming in my career because not only was I doing training and development for all the stores across Canada, I was also part of the international training team so we'd go overseas and uh, again to san francisco and do training and help out with a lot of store openings and at that time so over that seven years got kids was coming up uh, banana republic was coming up so i was helping out with a lot of those store openings and then eventually old navy was coming so i went back into the field for another four years as a regional director um, with old navy Wow, that's such an amazing story. I mean, there's a lot of store managers that kind of log in and watch our shows just because, you know, Retail U is leadership development for field leadership. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are always like, how do I become a district manager? How do I get to that multi-site role? Because it feels like you're always, it's like, it's it's so close, but it's so far away. So yeah. how did you get to that? Like, is there any, like, what did you learn through working at The Gap that maybe could share with our audience? Maybe somebody's watching this and saying, you know, mm -hmm. I'd really love to be a district manager one day. Yeah, for me, it was all about developing people. So that's what I was known for as, um, well, even starting in my early days. So when I was an associate or even like as an assistant manager in training, um, my mentor, like one of the people that I really admired, uh, she was a store manager in Calgary and she had flown out to Vancouver to do our sort of assistant manager in training sessions. And she was what we called like sort of an area trainer, but she still ran a store. Um, her name was Katie McDonald. She's still around. She's in, in Edmonton. And I remember seeing her training us and going, like, I want her job. And so I talked to her about it and I just said, what did you do to get to your job, your level? And she's like, I just train and develop people. I was like, okay, done. And so that's <laughs> all I focused in on. Like I was a good merchant. I was really good at operations. I was great at driving sales. Like I was a good generalist manager, but at the same time, like people came to my store to develop. And that was mm -hmm. one of the things that my district manager used my store to do. I had like new store managers, new associate managers would come work in my store for three, six months, and then we'd ship them out to other stores because we were going through mass growth. So um, I was just known as a training destination store. And mm. any kind of potential people that we had in the city would even shadow with me for a month, three months, um, just to you know learn what I was doing with people. Um, and I just generated a lot of people out of my store. So that was like something I was really passionate about. I just kept learning how to train people. I took facilitation courses, you know, because I just, I was always running training sessions. 
that's okay yeah it's it's um i always say that as well like one of the things that got me to where i was in my career was i was had the ability to develop others <clears throat> and i didn't wait for people to tell me to do that i realized i think i realized it one day when i went home and people were calling me from the store and i was like oh my god i'm on my day off and they're calling me and i'm like they don't trust they don't it's either they don't know what they're doing mm -hmm. or or they think I don't trust them when I'm not around, that they need yeah. my approval. So now I was like, how do I get some time off and how do I get them to like really take ownership? And that was that was like the beginning when I started running a big, I think it's, I think you kind of learn that when you start running a bigger store, right? You were telling me that one of the stores you ran had like 250 people in it and your dad, what did you say about your dad right before we got well, up until that point, my, my parents were kind of like, okay, when are you gonna get a real job? And I've already been there for maybe like two and a half years before I got promoted to a store manager. And they just kept saying, this is great, this is great. And it's like, it's like I know you're really excited by what you're doing there, but when are you gonna get a real job and all this stuff, when are you gonna go to law school, you're putting off your dream. And I'm like, I think this is my dream now, like this is it. And so I just opened the, like, the Pacific Center store Gap, like the original, it was like the first store in Canada was in the upper levels, it's where Holt Renfrew is now. And it was a tiny store and it was doing maybe three and a half million. And we found a new space in the, the lower level and it was this massive store, it was gonna be like 10,000, or almost 11,000 square feet. And uh, it literally overnight, like we moved all the clothes down. We opened like three days or four or five days later, we went literally from three and a half million to six and a half million. Wow. Whoa. We all the projections, we were short, like we were just like sold out of clothes. Like I was really like long folding t-shirts all over the place just to look like we had clothes in the store. Um, so like, and I remember my dad coming in the first week of business and he's like, what's going on here? And I'm like, this is my business dad. And he's like, no, I run a business. And I'm like, yeah, you have 40 people, you run a tech shop, like running a six and a half million dollar business with 250 people, like. It's a big it was, deal. It was go, go, go all the time. So I think then he realized, okay, like I'll just shut up now. I'm not gonna give you any more business. So do you think retail is a real career then? What's your perspective on it? Because we have this discussion all the time. Like whenever I'm going to fill in forms and things like that, like I was doing it the other day, I was filling in like they were asking a survey, you know, a form like what's your career? And I was like, retail is never on it. <laughs> I know, it's like other. <laughs> other. I'm like, why am I always other? It's like the third highest employment sector in the world. How is that possible? Why is it never on yeah. that? So do you, what's your perspective? Do you see retail as a real career? Do you think somebody can really have a great career in retail? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, yeah, I'm all about retail and anyone, whenever anyone asks me, so I'm uh, stammering there <laughs> about like what I do now um, as a business and leadership coach, like where did you learn this? I'm like, I always take it back to my early days of the gap. Like the gap yeah. was foundational for me as far as training, developing teams. I've gone on to work in other organizations, startups, et cetera. And I always go back to my gap experience. Um, the training was phenomenal. The leaders were dynamic. Uh, it was always changing. So I think like if you, if you want that, you know, creative edge, you want to interact with customers, you want to, you know, you love interacting with people, developing people like we just talked about, and you want to learn how to do that. Retail is such a great platform to do that. I remember when I was an assistant manager, I was being recognized for some, I don't know, like event or something just being like the keynote that I was. And Bill Fisher, who was Doris and Donald Fisher's son, he was running yeah. international at the time for Gap. He came out to like take these assistant managers out for lunch. And he wanted to like ask us like, you know, what have you been liking about your job? And I sat there like nine months in my position. And I said to him, I love my experience here. Like everything I know I can take into my own business in the future. 
And my district manager at the time kind of kicked me under the table. She's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, no, like I'm seriously learning everything I know that I could take into like a future business that I'm going to run for myself and for my own employees. And Bill actually liked that comment. He's like, that is amazing to hear that. It's almost like it's a mini MBA or, you know, and yeah. that's what I about my retail it's it's funny that you say your district manager was kicking you under the table right like I had those experiences when I um when I had these you know huge visits when I was a manager in Miami back in the day and I remember <laughs> getting kicked under the table and I was like when I become a VP I'm never gonna make my managers feel like I'm the one kicking them under the you know nobody's <laughs> gonna kick them under the table when I come to the stores yeah. right there's quite a few people with um comments in the chat like Dean's just saying I remember those days fondly and another gap alumni yeah there's there's a whole of us out there floating around but I think that if you're listening to this and um, you you want a retail career and you're thinking about developing yourself and is this something you could really do I, I think what Brenda's saying is right you know like you learn so many foundational skills yeah. for what you go on to do in the future right which is yeah, huge absolutely. yeah and all of, my, all of my career journey has been in and outside of retail companies because um, I did work for Aritzia for um, three and a half years and I've gone on to like other organizations and they've always been forward facing customer startup, uh, working engaged with people, um, customer experience, employee experience, like always making sure that those are, um, you know, just in balance in check all the time. Yeah. yeah. And so I, like whatever sector that I've been in also, I've been able to take that retail experience and apply it to healthcare, technology, um, hospitality. Like it just, it all, it all works. So I've got a question for you. Um, what was one of your biggest leadership lessons in your career that could help other people? Oh yeah, um, I you asked you sent me that question and I wrote it down. So my biggest leadership lesson is when my I was a store manager. I was running the Pacific Center Gap store. We had been open now for maybe like nine months, and I was definitely going through a bit of burnout. I you know up until then I was a really great trainer, but I was kind of forgetting that I was like you said, your, you know, your staff are calling you, et cetera. But I was going to definitely burn out. I was um, uh, not using, using all my skills and capabilities and my key associate manager quit oh. and took a job at the Eddie Bauer store on the second floor at Civic Center, right? So it's like, we still saw each other every week in the food court or something like that. And, you know, up until that point, I kind of thought like I was a bit invincible. Like, like I was like, the, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to swear, but you know, I just thought I was like the coolest like manager, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh. And he was kind of like our star guy. Like my district manager, I put him in my store saying like, I want him to work with you. So he learns everything about running a store because he's going to run the next store. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then he quit. And he basically quit because I was burnt out and I was not necessarily developing and I wasn't spending time with him. And, uh, you know, I sat down with my district manager and I was really sad, lots of tears. And I just realized that like I needed to change how I was working. I needed to go back to like what I was really strong at doing, which was all about my people, get clear about like who I was, like manage my time better, manage my communication better. And I set a goal that I was going to get him back in my store in three months. Hmm. And I did. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> that was like my big leadership lesson. But it was a lot of like, you know, going to him and also just being vulnerable with him and just saying, you know what, I messed up. I did. I messed up. I wasn't listening. I wasn't, um, you know, connected to you. I was forgetting like what my role was. I was becoming too much of a micromanager. And I think, you know, because I also had the support of my DM at the time, you know, she did yeah. a lot of coaching with me yeah. and a lot of, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, confront you know, confrontational talk, but like in a safe way, yeah. where it was just like helping me look in the mirror. And 
that was really important for me at that time. It was a really good lesson. And I always sort of look back on that as being one of my, my biggest ones. I always say like people work for people, right? Not for brands, you know, like going across to work at Eddie Bauer when he was working for Gap. It's like, but people leave people. And I always say that to leaders. Like if you have turnover happening, um, take a look in the mirror and see what you can do differently. I had a, a similar experience back in the day when I worked at Starbucks and it was really like an eye-opening experience for me. Yeah. Um, it taught me a ton. So good for you that you had the vulnerability. <laughs> I think that's a big lesson for leaders, right? We have to, we have to have vulnerability, especially now. And we have to be yeah. able to, to show our, take, like take accountability and acknowledge when we're making mistakes. So I think that's a huge lesson for people to learn. And, it, and he wasn't asking for very much. He was just saying, I just need you to care more. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, like I can do that. <laughs> That's like, you know, basic human necessity. And I can, I can definitely do that. It wasn't like, I wasn't showing him enough spreadsheets or training him on, a, on all these things. It was more just needed to care more. Yeah. There's three things that every employee wants is that they want to know that their boss cares for them. Number one, number two, that their employee, uh, that they can trust you. And number three, that you're going to help them do their job better. And if you can get those three, right, pretty much most of the time, they, they're going to stay with you for the yeah. long term. I always say that when I'm coaching leaders. <laughs> All right. This is awesome. It's getting so much good stuff out of you. I love it. Okay. What was, um, who had a profound influence on you? Um, and can you share any specific examples? Because I think these are great for our audience to kind of learn from as well. Yeah, I actually, um, I put down four people. Like I listed four Oh, wow. People. Great. But I'll talk like briefly about each of them. So I mentioned already Katie McDonald. Um, so she was the training manager that like inspired me to really go into that sort of like people development track, whether I was in operations or I went into training and development full time. She was just like an early mentor for me early in my career and just somebody that I like really admired. Like she just kind of like had it all together and just really strong operator, people trainer and just wanted to emulate her. Um, Nancy Westcott. So she was down in the US. And when I was in my training and development role in, in Toronto, she was a VP um, in our international division for communications. And so training development communications, there are a lot of overlap, especially when we we're doing store manager conferences. And I always remember when Nancy would come and visit us, she just was such a kind person. So that care piece that you talked about, mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, like in retail, you get like the executives coming and everyone gets into this frenzy, like, you know, you know, spit shining everything, and and um, and then they. Oh, I, pay, I painted. I I remember painting fitting rooms back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Looking stores and sleeping in fitting rooms, like to make sure that visit looked amazing the next morning. Yeah. Um, you know, and then they come for like five, ten minutes, and you're like gone. You're like, okay, <laughs> like falls down. Um, and Nancy would always be just so kind and like genuine, and like want to get to know you when she came to the visit at the store. Like she'd want to hear about the numbers and the performance and all that sort of stuff. But she just want to get to know you, how you're liking your job, what she could do to support you. And I just always like, you know, that was just a, a really good lesson too. Like as I moved up into different levels of leadership, is just make that connection. The yeah. business will come, the results will come, but make that connection with people always. Um, Art Solomon was a great guy. He was also in, like, he was lead, uh, heading up Canada for Old Navy at the time, and then he went on to American Eagle. So probably people uh, remember Art if they worked in retail in Canada for a while. But I loved him because he he wasn't necessarily the fashion savvy guy, but he was like the numbers guy, and he really got people and business. And so again, same thing. He was really relatable because um, sometimes we would just get, I think, a little bit inflated. Like you know, we're like you know the top and top dogs and stuff, and and he would just make it so humble and just so real. And he'd be like, okay, just like, just be straight with me, Brenda. Like, so I always just really appreciated the way he talked. 
And then Brian Hill, who's the CEO and founder of Aritzia. So when I worked at Aritzia, I had a, a lot of overlap in my job with him. Uh, I was working a lot with the product team, uh, hiring, bringing on people as we were expanding at the product team and the e-commerce team. So I worked a lot with him around talent. And he always sort of pushed my thinking about how to engage and inspire and retain talent. And things that I would sometimes get caught up on, like policies or procedures, he'd be like, like just keep an entrepreneurial viewpoint, not only on the business, but also how we treat people. Mm. So if a top performer was about to leave and I was just like, well, you know, like he'd be like, no, like we need to retain this person no matter what, they're integral to our business. Did you know that their work contributes to this much percentage of our business? Like what they're asking for is, is peanuts. So just like give them what they want, you know, right. and, and make them stay type of thing. And, and he was always really good about just sort of pushing the envelope and not worrying so much about policy and all this sort of stuff. Well, I think that's, I think in that, what I hear is support. Like I write about that in the book. It's like, what does, it's when you have people that make you feel like you're, you have support, it's you're accepted for who you are. And like, mm -hmm. how do you create that when you're a leader leading other leaders, right? Like that's really important. Listening, caring, knowing your numbers, being business savvy, but really, again, it goes back to all the people piece, right? And and I, it's funny because you know you took the human resources route, right? After mm -hmm. doing field leadership, which I think I love it when I meet when I get to work with human resources people that have actually gone through the field piece because mm -hmm. I think you have a completely different perspective because you know operations and HR are a little bit let's be real they're a little bit like this because yes. like, HR is like this is a policy and operations is like yeah but this is what I want to do you know like it's always that little bit of a struggle um so I think that's great that you did that so what made you take that human resources learning right you talked a lot about developing people but now mm -hmm. i know that you're doing even more human resources so what made you do that what yeah. and, and and if you can share like how did your background in retail like really help you when you were in that that, that role those roles yeah. well human resources just seemed like a, a good fit for what i was doing um i you know my my kids were when i started having kids and stuff they were really um well, obviously really little when I start having kids, that's <laughs> obvious. but um, my schedule at the time, like I was traveling like three weeks, sometimes four weeks, literally out of a month. And so I just didn't feel at the time it was conducive for me to like be a mom and do what I was doing. So I, I took HR so I could be a bit more grounded. Um, although I stayed in, I stayed in like these high volume, high growth companies. So I was just traveling just as much. So I, I should have probably stayed in operations. I don't always think of myself as being an HR person. I still think of myself as always being an operations person first, customer service, um, employee developer, and then HR is sort of like a side gig. That's how mm. I always think about it. Interesting, so I'm wow. Always, I'm always connected with operations. And even when I've gone into other organizations, people are like, you're not like the normal HR person we've worked with. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Um, and it's, people still identify me as being someone in HR, but I'll always say I'm operations first and then HR. I like that perspective that you just said. I see HR as my side gig. I've never heard anybody say that before. Yeah. Like ever. Yeah. I, I think that's awesome. Because for me, it's always about the people piece. And sometimes HR will get involved in the process, which I think is important to have, but you don't want to get too mired to the process. You want to first connect, I think, with the people and then figure out. How do you how do you make that scalable you know if you're growing your organization through a yeah. or, or talent yeah. development um so yeah i i started i moved into hr through the training development track um i was a really good recruiter when i was in operations because i was always growing 
the business and I was like looking for great people to come and work in my stores. So I was really always a strong recruiter. So those would be sort of like, if I look at like sort of the, the, the scope of HR recruiting and talent development have always been like my, my strengths. And then, yeah, like you need to understand the full suite, like compensation and, and driving performance and all like human capitals type system work. So we just take that on. But I think at the end of the day, it's, it's just always about leadership. It's about leadership yeah. operations. And I, you know, I've also gone into other uh, disciplines like marketing. I've like marketing teams, IT teams, sales teams. So um, I, I think at a certain level of leadership, it doesn't really matter where you originated from. It's more like you're, you can, you have the ability to look holistically across the organization. Mm, that's a really good perspective. Because yeah, I, I think a lot of time people get uh, pigeonholed. Like I share a story in the book when I was working at Holt Renfrew and I wanted to apply for a learning and development role mm -hmm. because I had been developing leaders up until that point, you know, yeah. massively. And um, somebody in HR told me, yeah, you'll never get a job in professional learning and development because you're not educated in it. You're like an operator. So I just mm -hmm. went off and thought, well, I'm just going to build my own company then. Yeah. <laughs> and train operators how to, how to lead. Um, I had that same advice multiple times. So when I was making that shift between retail ops, formerly into HR jobs, and I was applying for HR jobs, I had a recruiter say to me, we could maybe get you a recruiting assistant or coordinator job. Like up until this point, I was like, you know, again, I was leaving like an old Navy business, which the average store was doing 25 million. When right. I was there, I had 22 of those stores. Um, you know, multiplied by three to 500 people per store working in them. And I'm getting only offers for a recruiting coordinator. I was like, are you serious? Like, yeah, <laughs> what? Um, well, I could do that job in my sleep and yeah. make that money. And not, and not that there's anything wrong with being a recruiting coordinator, but like I had been working for a long time and like, it was like, it was almost like I had to start at the bottom again. So there was a video game studio in Vancouver, Slant Six Games are no longer in business, but I knew the CFO and they needed somebody in HR. And I'm like, can I come in and do HR work for you? So it was like working in a startup and I just did everything. I was a team of one. Eventually I added on some people, but it at least gave me like the foothold to then get recognized as being that, you know, leader in HR that I was. It just, yeah. But I think, so I would just, my advice to anybody is just like stick with it, stick with it if that's what you want. Or if you do want to make that transition out of um, the operator role into, you know, another discipline, yeah, like plan that out, figure out what that requires. But or find, find a mentor, find a mentor, somebody in that role that you want. I would say go find the person that's doing the job and then have a conversation with them. That's a good idea because then you'll know exactly what the job entails as well. And like a lot of people ask me as well, um, you know, what's more important? Is it brand or role when you're looking for your career growth? And, and that's a really good question because at the beginning of my career, I worked for some really great, I mean, I've worked for Apple, Starbucks, Gap. I've worked for the big ones, yeah. um, which gave me the foundation. But then I went on to owner-operated businesses because it was more about the role and like what I got to actually accomplish and contribute to in the role. So I think it's a bit of balance of both. What do you think? Like, do you think it's role or do you think it's brand that matters? Well, I mean, like, I mean, again, like my starting point, like I shared with everybody, um, you know, uh, was, how old was I? 21 years old coming out of university. I didn't really think too much about it at that time, honestly. So if you asked me back then, I have no idea. Even right now, I'd still say, yeah, The Gap was a great choice. It was this up and coming brand. It was the early 90s. It was like groundbreaking. I mean, it became the behemoth that we know it to be today. Yeah. The brand has changed substantially since you and I were there. But I think 
um, you know, back then I would have said brand all the way because they were such an investment around mm -hmm. people. And starting off as an assistant manager in training, I was like, yeah, great. And I moved up quickly because I just like the fit for me was like perfect, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, what I needed at the time and what I what I gave to it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think you know, I would always go back to yeah, it's brand, it's role, but I would still put in there like leader. Mm. Who's the leader that I'm working for? And you know, because I've worked for great brands in when they haven't necessarily had the leadership, that's why I may potentially haven't stayed. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. That speaks to what we were saying earlier about your lesson learned, right? When your your manager left you. So, yeah. so what's a memorable moment in your career? I know that wasn't on the list of questions. Oh, it's like a memorable moment. <laughs> memorable moment. <laughs> Do you um, have it? Yeah, I mean, even now, like, I mean, I'd say, like, in the last three years, when I decided to go off on my own and and be a business and leadership coach, that was pretty memorable for me. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of things that were happening with me personally, professionally, and I just thought, you know, I, I had that goal. I always had that um, vision in mind that I would have my own business, um, but I think I kind of pushed it off to be like, oh, it's going to be like the last thing I do, sort of like I'll do it when I'm sixty or something. And um, so I just brought that vision forward, and that was a pretty pinnacle turning point for me. Right, right. So obviously, um, you know, leadership is important. You've talked about it throughout mm -hmm. of this. So what does leadership mean to you? What does leadership mean to Brenda Rigney? Yeah, for me, leadership is not about uh, title or hierarchy. I believe that everybody, like there's seven and a half billion people on this planet. I think everybody has unique gifts and abilities and they can be a leader in their own right. You know, and I realize that out of the seven and a half billion people, there's like a newborn today and somebody that's 99 years old in that spectrum. But I just, I fundamentally believe that leadership's not about title, hierarchy, rank or, or role. I think it's more about a way of being and a way of thinking and acting. Um, and how you embody leadership, right? And so leadership can be, I think, for everybody. And there's self-leaders, there's team leadership. So leadership can get impacted in lots of different ways. And so if somebody who's listening today is thinking about moving into leadership, guess what? You're probably already a leader right now. Um, and just because you don't have the title doesn't necessarily mean you're not acting like a leader and that there's not people that are listening to you and following you and believe in you. So just keep channeling that. Like, just keep embodying that and learn, 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 because... Um, and like you said, like talk to people that are in those roles, learn about leadership, read books, jump on yeah. podcasts, whatever, learn from people that are maybe in those roles right now with a title. Yeah. Um, but that's what I would always say to people. Like, even if you don't have the title, don't think that you're not a leader. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, Robin Sharma wrote that great book, the leader that has no title. And I love that book. Um, because it talks about, it, he ha, it's a storybook, right? And it talks about different people. And one of them is like a cleaning lady in a hotel, but she's a leader, right? <laughs> like you don't have to have a big title. I say that people are always striving, I find sometimes for titles and I don't think that's the right thing. I think it's really strive to make an impact where you can add your value. I'm not saying don't move up. And, and you know, I moved up because I wanted to make a bigger impact. I wanted to fix things right. that I wanted fixed when I was a store manager. So when I became that VP role, I was like, okay, now I can fix more things. I can help more people to do it, for, do it for the right reasons, right? But all right. So now I know that you have a podcast. You're like a, a leadership coach. I know I've been on your three uniques. Um, it's so awesome. Actually, when you actually interviewed me and you were like, what's your three uniques? I had to think about that. I was like, oh, my God, what are they? Because, <laughs> because and I think that's a good exercise to do, actually, because a lot of people in retail do so many things. Mm -hmm. 
it's almost like when somebody, when I started writing the book, I was like, God, I got to put this all in a book. Like somebody asked me what I do in a day. I'm like, I don't know how to describe what I do in a day because it's so much. Yeah. Um, but I know that you're doing that now and you're doing leadership coaching and, and, um, and uh, you're loving that, right? Like helping leaders grow and, and different businesses. Yeah. Yeah, so I started the podcast last year around three unique. Like you said, it's all about identifying what makes you unique. So I bring on guests to talk about, you know, a little bit about who they are so people understand, you know, sort of the context. So I might have on like a an athlete or a writer or a chef, like, you know, so all different types of backgrounds. And then I get them to share their three uniques and tell us why those uniques make them unique and, you know, maybe how they're also incorporated into their life. And everyone says the same thing when I interview them. Like, so just like you just said, it's like, oh, wow, this is like a challenging exercise. Like what really makes me unique? So my whole thing is like, what makes you unique is like a combination of um, your skills, your abilities, your talents, and then your values, your beliefs, your passions. That's like another bucket. And then the third bucket would be your experiences, your past, current, and future, soon to be future experiences. And like that sweet spot in the middle between like all those linking up is what makes you unique. Oh, and, I love that. You know, and I think like when anyone's maybe feeling lost or maybe feeling stuck in their career or with their business, go back to what you know to be true. Um, because you may be misguided, you may be confused, you may have been hearing or getting into that sort of comparison trap. Mm -hmm. um, going on social media and seeing all these people living these wonderful lives and you're like, oh, well, you know, it's not that great. It's like, go back to what makes you unique and build your life from that. Well, I think that this was such an amazing conversation. Like seriously, so many great words of wisdom and advice. There's like, you can go back and read all the comments in the chat after, because there's like tons of people oh. making a whole ton of comments about like the um, the advice and the, the words of wisdom that you've provided. So, you know, if somebody was gonna follow in your footsteps um, before we wrap up, what would you, what would, what, what's Brenda Rigney's best advice today? Like today, the world that we're living in today, like yeah. what, what should, what advice would you give somebody? Um, well, I've always believed this, but I was actually listening to a podcast with uh, Will Smith the other day, the actor, and yeah. he said this too, is like not necessarily striving for happiness, but striving for learning and growth. So when you're learning and growing, you're always like sort of up leveling yourself. You're look, you're striving for something better when you're learning and growing and seeking out things from other people, whether it's coaches, mentors, books, podcasts, um, something is going to spark something in you, right? And then that's going to propel you forward into something else, which will hopefully drive that level of joy or happiness for you. But I know that a lot of times people are like striving for happiness first. And his whole thing, and I believe this whole right, is just keep learning, keep growing. Um, it's going to shift your thinking. Um, yeah, and keep on that path. Uh, and that's huge. When I first started the John Maxwell program, my goal was to sell John Maxwell courses. <laughs> and I learned how to build online courses and facilitate and all that good stuff. And then Retail You came along and was born out of that learning of knowing how to do these other things. And it right. just kind of evolved, right? So then you'll find your passion. And yes. when you get to live your passion every day, that's when you're really happy. <laughs> exactly. So that's the thing is like versus like looking for happiness first. Because mm. um, I think, you know, you can get it. You know, you can have like make some popcorn today and that might make you happy or go for a walk and that might make you happy. But do like if you invest in yourself, like that constant learning and growth. Yeah. That sustains for the long yeah. time. Yeah. Well, this was another awesome positive effect conversation with Brenda Rigney. So I just want to thank you so much thank for you. taking the time out of your day and sharing yeah. all of this information with our audience. It's super helpful because we just want to keep bringing these conversations to life every week so that 
you know, sure. other people can learn from uh, great leaders like yourself and the experiences that you've had. So I just want to say thank you so much. Thanks for doing this, April. Take care. Bye for now. Bye.